Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to the chapel, and uh, we want to just want to make uh, some quick announcements. Um, for tonight, Psalms will be, uh, the night service will be on online with James Long. And uh, for uh, all your announcements, I would uh, suggest that you go online to the chapel at Warren Valley. And if you look through, you'll see all the announcements for our future events. And, uh, you know, take a look. If you have any questions, you can always uh, call the church. And we want to pray today and open up the service. I just want to read Psalm 46, the beginning of Psalm 46, which is, God is our strong refuge. He is truly our helper in times of trouble. And so let's, let's open up in prayer. Father, uh, we thank you, Lord God, for your mercy, your grace. We thank you, Lord God, for your great and mighty salvation that you have given unto us. Lord, we pray, Father, for... Uh, our brothers and sisters that are in the church who are going through physical problems, Lord God, physical difficulties. We pray for Les. We pray for Tom, who are in the hospital and are battling uh, COVID. Lord, we pray, Father, that even now, Lord, you would just touch their body, restore them, Lord God, bring them back to good health, we pray, Father. You are the great physician, Lord God, and we ask you that you move mightily in, in their lives and in their bodies. Lord, we pray for um, Dave Mercer, Lord God, who is going to have open heart surgery. We pray, Father, that you would be with him as he goes through uh, this procedure, that you would get him through this, and Lord, that he would be with us healthy and restored. And so, Lord, we pray for your, uh, your spirit to be with us, Lord, as we open this service. Be with the, with the musicians and everyone that's here. Bless each and every one of us, Lord God. In your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. Let's worship together. the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. Yeah. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be Won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's 
accepted, redeemed by his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Sing that again. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're on and free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Yeah. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today and we won't be quiet we'll shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord our god is surely in this place and we won't be quiet we'll shout This morning we have a new song for you like we'd like to introduce and I'll, uh, I'll play the verse one and through the chorus and as you uh, get used to it, just feel free to join in and worship, please. What joyful thoughts doth heaven bring Where righteous ones will worship thee no sadness, fear, or suffering, but joyful cries to the King of kings. What sacrifice the Father made to crush the Son who bore our shame, yet raised him up that glorious day to give us hope and a holy name. Praise the Lamb for sinners slain, who rode with blood our eternal praise. Let the nations of the earth proclaim, hallelujah. Oh, praise the name of Jesus, our song forever shall be. Let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing. What joyful thoughts. What joyful thoughts doth heaven bring. We're righteous ones will worship thee. No sadness, fear, or suffering. Joyful Christ 
again. Behold the city of the King. Hallelujah. His glory is the shall be let the anthem of salvation be the song that we shall sing
in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Heavenly Father, thank you that that is the truth, that for endless days we will be praising you in infinity. God, as we think of what's going on in our world at this present, at this state, God, we just are so thankful that you are the same glorious, sovereign, saver of the world that you are today as you were in the past and will be in infinity. And God, we just ask that as we've sung and as we continue to worship you in truth with the message, Father, that you would just help us to glory in that, God. Bless us as we hear your message this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, children, you could be dismissed for junior church. Uh, for the rest of you, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. It's so good to be with you today. And so good for those of you that are joining us online. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be picking up at verse 17 this morning. I wonder, do you find yourself tempted to go back to your old way of life? Whatever that pattern was that you used to do in the past. Do you, do you find that when you spend time with old friends or old acquaintances that you go back to old ways of thinking and old ways of speaking and old ways of acting? That's, that's us. Oftentimes we find ourselves going with the flow of what's happening around us and we kind of get caught up. So many believers today find themselves struggling with freedom. So many believers today find themselves struggling with living in this world but not living of it. 
And Paul is talking about that even himself in Romans chapter 7. If you're familiar with Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8, Paul talks about in Romans 6 that, you know, you do not have to be this way any longer because God has separated you. You've been baptized into Christ Jesus and you've been baptized into a new life, he says. But then in Romans 7, he talks about the struggles that he was having. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. He talks about himself as a wretched man, a man who is doing the very things that he hates. Maybe that's you. I know oftentimes it's me. He desired to do what was right, and oftentimes he failed. He faltered. He struggled. That's all of us. I, I, I don't have to know your story intimately. I know that if you are in Christ, you struggle, you falter, you fail at times, and maybe far too often times in your lives. We, we have these battles with the world system that is out there. And Paul's going to talk in this section about some enemies that we're going to struggle with, but primarily he's going to talk about the world system that is out there. The world system is one of... As one of the commentators said, one of the theologians said, we have three mortal enemies, the world, the devil, and the flesh. And the world system is one of those enemies that is out there. In Ephesians 2, we, we, said, we heard this earlier, in which we used to live and follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is alive in the sons of disobedience. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, We know that we are children of God, and this whole world is under the control of the evil one. That is the world that we're living in. We're living in a world that is fleeting in character. It's alienated from God. It's a fallen sphere. And ultimately, it is anti-God. This world tends to be a world where we look at truth as relative. It just, it changes from person to person or place to place. We live in a world where it's pragmatic. It's the ends justify the means. We live in a world that is driven mostly by our emotions and subjective experience. That's the world system that we live in. But that's not our only enemy. It's not just the world system that we're dealing with. It's the devil. The devil is our chief enemy. The devil is also named Satan in scripture. He is a fallen angel. We see that in, in Isaiah chapter 14. He is an accuser. He is a murderer. He is a liar. He's a false witness. He tempts you. He accuses you constantly if you are a believer. He is wicked in his personality. He hates Christ. And in all of those that are aligned to Christ, he hates you as well. Peter told us that in 1 Peter chapter 5, he said, be controlled, self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. Satan's goal is to devour you. He is your worst enemy. We live in a world system that he has created, but he is this world system philosophy that he has created. He is tireless in his pursuits against you. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He wants to deceive every living soul. We'll see later as we get to the end of Ephesians that you are in a spiritual battle. You may not see it with your eyes, but day after day, moment after moment in your life, there is a spiritual battle that is happening outside of you, and then there's a spiritual battle that is happening within you. He knows that if he can get you to believe wrongly, you will feel badly and you will behave sinfully. He knows that. 
And so he wants to corrupt the way you think. He wants to corrupt everything that comes into your mind. He wants to control you. But it's not just the world system that's around you. It's not just the devil that is there as well. You have an internal enemy. The Bible calls that your flesh. Your flesh is this law that lives inside of you. It's this restless evil. It is the way it was at your birth, at your conception. You've had that same flesh from that time period. And even for those of you that know Christ as your personal savior, that same flesh resides in you. And this great battle that happens in your life happens. The flesh wants to distort the truth in your life. The flesh wants you to avoid what is good. The flesh wants you to hold to what is evil. The flesh takes no Sabbath. The flesh takes no rest. When you were sleeping, the flesh is at work in your life. When you were sitting here in this congregation, the flesh is at work attacking you. You are under attack. Moment after moment. You know, I think part of the reason why we as believers falter and fail in our lives is that we, we let off a guard. We forget about the world system that is out there and we forget about the battles that are happening within us. You need to be mindful of that. And that's what Paul's going to do here. Paul is going to teach us truth. He's going to teach us about the fact that there's a world philosophy that is out there, Satan that is drawing that, your flesh that is apparent, and that he wants to talk to you about the Christ that can set you free. You know, change is, is difficult. Change is painful, but I want you to know that change is absolutely possible for every person that knows Christ. In Christ, you are what? A new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So why is it that too many of us as believers look like the old person? Years ago, we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We made a profession of faith, but our lives are not radically different than they were then. There's something wrong. Paul told, uh, Peter told us in Second uh, Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter one. He says, "God has given us all that we need for life and godliness." Second Peter chapter one verse three. He wanted to remind us and remind those people that even though you're in a battle and that battle is constant, you have the resources available to you and with you right now. You need to know that. That is hope. That is peace. That is joy. That's what real life change is. So as we've been looking at this, this letter to the Ephesians, Paul has been talking about the beauties of the gospel and who you are in Christ. He, he started all the way back in chapter one. And he said in chapter one, he said, what are you? You are chosen in him. That God, before this universe was ever created, chose you if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been adopted as his sons and daughters. You've been blessed with glorious grace. You have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has forgiven you. He has lavished all wisdom. This is going to come important now. Wisdom and insight has been lavished upon you so that you could start to see differently and believe differently and therefore behave differently. He's given you an inheritance. He has sealed you with your Holy, the Holy Spirit. It's not only that he gives you truth, not only that he has implanted truth in your life, but that he gives you the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to grow you and to change you and to transform you. But far too many, believe, far too many believers spend our lives focusing on what we can do 
rather than what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So Paul gets into this section here in Ephesians chapter 4. And as we heard last week, in the beginning of Ephesians 4, he is now making a transformation. When Paul writes, and a lot of the New Testament writers write this way, they write with talking about beliefs and then they go into behaviors. They write about presuppositions and then they get into practices. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. You know what ortho means? Ortho means right or correct or straight. Orthodontics, they'll get your teeth straight or right. Well, orthodox means you have right doctrine, right truth, right beliefs, which should lead to orthopraxy. Praxy means practice, right practice, straight practice. It's oftentimes that we as, as New Testament believers, or at least um, believers here in this time, we just want to hear what I'm supposed to do. Just tell me what I need to do to change. And Paul spent three chapters of this book telling you what you need to believe, and then he focuses on how you live. This is so important. So let's look at this passage. Let's walk through it, because what Paul is going to teach us is why we need to change, and then he tells us how we need to change. Those are the two components, why we need to change and how we need to change. He's going to look at the world, he's going to look at the flesh, but he's going to look at Christ. And this is so important. Hear this with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and following. It says, now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard of him and were taught in him as the truth is in Christ or in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, life-changing word. Would you pray with me? Father, we were spiritually dead. We were transgressors of your law. We were fallen away from you, alienated from you. Father, in essence, we have spit in your face from, from even the womb. Why you chose to send your son for us, I don't know. Why the ultimately offended God would take on human flesh, I don't know. And why your Lord Jesus, second person of the Trinity, would, would encase yourself in a human body, truly God and truly man, I don't know. Why you would put yourself under the law that you created, I don't know. Why you lived the life that you did for us, I don't know. Why you died the death for us. Why you went to the grave and why you were risen victoriously and why you were ascended into heaven and why you seated, seated at the right hand right now. I know scripture tells us you did it to honor your father and you did it to win your sheep, your people. So, Father, help us to be amazed again and what your son has done. 
Help us to not get into a self-help mindset. Help us to recognize it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So help us to see your son. Help us to savor him. Help us to be amazed by him. Help us to be able to see this world as it is, as broken as it is. Help us to see the truth in Christ and help us to live in a way that's going to honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's, uh, let's start working through this passage. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. Um, he begins with, I'll give you two metaphors that he gives you. Uh, in verses 17 through 19, he's going to give you the metaphor of walking. And then after that, he's going to give you the metaphor of wearing. So he's going to use these two metaphors, walking and wearing. He's going to talk about, he's going to give you a warning here first. And he begins with the negative, And he says this in verse 17. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He begins the section by saying now... In essence, he's saying so or therefore. He's saying you need to go back to what I've said in the first three chapters and the first portion here. And I want you to see that there's something different. See, you as a believer need to represent differently. As we heard last week, what we saw is that the church is supposed to be different than the world in its unity. That you are supposed to be different. That we should be brown people and people that are dark and people that are light and people that are heavy and people that are light and people that are rich and people that are poor and people that are workers and people that are slaves. All these people come together as one group, which is so different than the world. This unity that we should have because of one person, Christ, one person brings us together in this unity, but it's not just unity, it's purity. See, we're supposed to be different from the world, not only in the unity that brings this body together, we're supposed to be different from this world in the purity. And Paul says, don't look. And Paul says, do not, I say to the Lord and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Paul is saying, in light of everything else that I've taught you, you need to be living differently. And he says, I testify in the Lord. It's actually the Lord Jesus Christ teaching you here. It's not the Apostle Paul teaching you primarily. He is a voice for Christ. Christ is teaching you. I'm testifying the Lord. Christ, in, his, in, in essence, instructing you through this time. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. That it's the Holy Spirit that comes into these human authors, but it is God's word coming out to you. So God is speaking to you today. And Paul says, you're supposed to be living differently. Now he begins with this warning. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. What does that mean? I find it quite interesting that who is he writing to? He's writing to Gentiles. He's writing to people that are Gentile by nature on this world. And he's saying, I don't want you to walk as the Gentiles do. Now this phrase, walk, we're going to see it multiple times for the rest of the letter. We've already seen it. Actually, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we've seen it here and before. What is God wanting us to do? He says this. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. For we are his workmanship. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, what? Walk in them. See, this walk, when he talks about walk, primarily when Paul uses this phrase, it is oftentimes in the present tense, which means that he is speaking of some type of continual action in your life. He is talking about an ongoing manner of your life, a way of life. It's not just an action, it's a way of life. It's a continual pattern in your life, but it's also about advancement. When I walk, I am taking steps and I am moving in a direction. When you walk as a believer, you are taking an action, you're advancing, and it's a manner of life. That's a walk. And what Paul is arguing here is this. I want you to walk in a way that's going to honor you, uh, honor Christ. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 and following. Heard this just last week. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So you've been called out of darkness and you're supposed to be living radically different. So Paul is arguing here that there is a walk that is different. He says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. One last thing before we go into this next section. I, I, I found it interesting that as we live in a world today, so many people identify with worldly labels. Their identity is based on their race or ethnicity, it's based on their culture, it's based on their preferences, and that is how they identify themselves. What Paul is saying is this, you do not identify yourself with worldly labels, you identify the fact that you're wholly the Lord's, that you were Christ purchased one, and that you were God the Father's children. See, as you can identify, not with these worldly labels, but the fact that I'm in Christ, then these worldly things pass away. And we can bind together in unity and purity. It's an amazing thing for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be different. All right, let's get into it. He says, now I'm going to tell you what the Gentile world is. And he gets pretty strong in his diagnosis. Paul is going to give a description of the problem. He is going to diagnose this problem. And I need you to see how he responds, how he talks about it. He says, there first is a futility in their minds. Now, I find it interesting that Paul in his writings is going to prioritize the thinking over the feelings. And that's exactly what the culture today does exactly the opposite. They prioritize the feelings over thinking. Paul is going to talk about the mind. He's going to talk about understanding. He's going to talk about ignorance. He's going to talk about learning and teaching. He is going to prioritize your thoughts. But he is saying that the worldly mind is futile. The entire way that this world thinks leads to a fruitlessness, a hopelessness, a uselessness. It takes you nowhere. You know, it's interesting that uh, Paul is writing 2,000 years ago, but his diagnosis of his world at that time is no different than the diagnosis of our world today. With all the ingenuity, with all the creative things that we've done, what have we learned? Nothing. We're still futile. We still have lives that are broken. We have still lives that are damaged. We have still lives that are enslaved by this world. We still live in a broken world. Well, Paul describes this futility in a number of ways. If you look at verse 18, he's going to say, they are darkened in their understanding. Paul starts with the fact that the lights are not on. They have nothing to contribute to this world. 
They have rejected the authority of God. They have rejected the authority of Scripture. They tend to mock Christ. They hate him, and their world is dark. I find it interesting that Jesus said to us that we are called to be lights in this world, but this world is a dark world. Now, why is it that of so much stuff, so many problems happen at night? I don't know. I used to be afraid of the dark. Maybe you guys are at times. The darkness, there's something there. You can't see, and it's like it's uncomfortable, but there is something sinister that happens in the darkness. Not only the darkness from within, but the darkness from without. Paul argues that the problem starts with that they are darkened in their understanding. They hate Christ, and that's the mindset of this world. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, they're darkened in their understanding. They have no spiritual perception. They stop caring for what God says. But now, here's the issue. They're alienated from the life of God. They're cut off. They're separated. They have no hope. You know, oftentimes when somebody passes away, you know, a couple of stars passed away this week. And and when you hear it, immediately people will say, you know, rest in peace. And they will talk about the fact of, well, you know, God has taken them to heaven. When there's been no profession of faith in their lives, no, no profession that there is a God that they trust in. It's like they get heaven, but there is no path of Christ. But that's where the world believes. But Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. But that is radically different than what the world says, and it's radically different than what the world believes. They're alienated from God. They are separated from God, and that is the reason for their darkness. There's a third thing he says here. It's not only that they are darkened and alienated, but they're ignorant. There's an ignorance of reality. The worldly knowledge that is here, there are some very intelligent people in this world. (laughs) You could listen to them. And some of these really intelligent people in this world speak in such a way as they profess to be wise, but they become what? Fools. Hold your finger there. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Interesting passage of scripture because Paul is going to argue that that is the mindset of this world. And so he's going to use the same focus that he has here. He says, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness do what? Suppress what? The truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. God has shown it to them. Well, what has God shown to them? He has given them truth in their, in their conscience. He has given them truth in creation. He's given them truth in the commands of scripture. He's even given them truth in those that know about Christ. He has given truth, but they suppress it and press it down. Because that's what the world does. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without, what, excuse. For although they knew God, see there's a guilty knowledge of God. People out there know God, but they reject him. They stamp him down, they suppress him. That's what the world does. They did not honor him. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be what? Wise. But they became fools. 
You go on the internet today and there's so many people with a bunch of letters after their name with such wisdom and they look down on you because they say that what you believe is just so foolish and they have the wisdom. They don't. God says they profess to be wise, but they became fools. You know, the the dilemma for us as believers is that far too often times we actually listen to these people. We take their counsel in. You, you listen to their podcast, you, you read their books, and you're taking in this junk of a wisdom, it's false wisdom, and Paul says, they profess to be wise, but they became fools. They've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things, and God gave them up to their dishonorable passions, to their lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, so Paul is arguing, just like he did in Romans chapter one, he is arguing here that the world system is broken and is failing to follow him. Back to Ephesians Chapter 4, Paul says not only are they darkened in their understanding, not only are they alienated, but they're ignorant and they're hard. See, this is the issue. A hardness of heart. What, what Paul was arguing is that it's not just the fact that they don't have right information. See, people believe that you are transformed and changed in a lasting way because you can educate people. Or you get the right politician in office. We've got the wrong one here. We need to get the right one in. And then everything changes. Baloney. God changes people internally. It's not about political change. It's not about legal change. It's not about educational change. It is about the change of who's in control of your heart and your mind and your life. See, that's what makes the difference. But the world's heart is hardened to God. As we read in Romans, they suppress the truth. They press it down. They are unteachable. There are some people that I work with that will say, I don't care about that truth. I don't want to hear what you're telling me from God's word. When I have somebody sitting there in front of me that says, I don't care what you say. They're not rejecting my counsel. They're rejecting Christ. Rejecting his word. They're rejecting the conscience, and their conscience is starting to be seared. They're rejecting creation, that there's a God who's created. They've rejected the commands of God, and ultimately they are rejecting Christ. They're attacking him. That hard heart is, is coming from the fact that they're alienated from God. It is giving them ignorance of heart. It is darkening their understanding. It is leading to futility. They refuse to hear God. They refuse to submit to his will. And that is because they are unreconciled to God. Paul says, that's not you. Paul is in alignment with what John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love this world or the things that are in this world. If anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. I am so concerned for the church today that when the church today sounds more like the world than the word, we're in trouble. When we believe that the diagnosis of the problem and the prescription of the problem is exactly as what you will hear on CNN or Fox News, we are in trouble. Because we are supposed to be different. 
It is not about education. It's not about politics. It's about Christ. So Paul argues that, that you can't be like this. James said the same thing in James chapter 4. He says, you, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity to God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself what? An enemy of God. Or Paul said this in Romans chapter five, uh, 8. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not to submit to God's Lord. Indeed it cannot. For those that are in the flesh cannot believe, please God. So Paul has already kind of given us this diagnosis before, and he's doing it again and again. Why is he doing it? Because you and I don't like to hear this diagnosis. We do not like to hear that our lives are futile outside of Christ. We don't like to hear that we're darkened, that we don't like to hear that we're ignorant. We do not like to hear that we suppress truth at times. We just don't like to hear it. James, give me the good news before you tell me all this bad news, but the Bible tells us we need to understand the bad news because we get rid of it so far too easily. You need to know the bad news and the struggles that you have. The beliefs that you hold used to be like the world. You need to get rid of it. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say the beliefs that are futile and darkened and alienated and ignorant and broken. He's not saying just the beliefs. He's now saying the behaviors. Look in verse 19. He says, they have become callous. And they've given themselves up to sensuality to practice every kind of impurity. Paul argues that they first become unfeeling. I don't know if any of you have found yourself habituated in a certain level of sin in your life. But what will end up happening is that when you do that particular sin initially, you will probably feel a sense of guilt. Your conscience will, will hurt you and it's like, I shouldn't have done that. And then you do it again and it's a little bit easier. And then you do it a, a tenth time, a hundredth time, a thousandth time. And now you're unfeeling. The, your heart has become so callous that you've suppressed the truth. You rubbed against the testimony of God. And now it is not causing any feeling in your life any longer. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't say just they're unfeeling, but they've given over. Look what he says. He says they begin callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality. Now, if you saw in Romans, it said that God has given them over. But here it says they have given themselves over. God has sovereignly said, if you're going to continue down this path, I am removing my hand of grace. And you're going to continue down this path. I'm giving you over. And they, they say, I don't want to hear you, God, any longer. How else is it that we can get to such an unfeeling state in our world that we can rip a baby out of a mother's womb? How can we get to that kind of place in our lives that we become so unfeeling that that is what we have allowed to happen in our culture? And there are believers that actually think that this is right. It's crazy. We've been given over, Paul says. How can we go down a path that will say that we will, I, I, I'm not a man any longer. I've switched my gender. I'm going to rip apart body parts so I can be something different. We've gone down a path of being given over. 
over and over. The mindset of this world has started to infiltrate humanity. That's normal, but it is infiltrating the church. And that's scary. The behaviors, they have become unfeeling. They've been given over. And what is at the heart of it? Covetousness. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I want more, I want more, I want more. And it's more and more corruption. And Paul says, that's not you. You're supposed to be unified in Christ and you're supposed to be pure in Christ. So Paul attacks the beliefs. Paul attacks the behaviors. But Paul takes you from the way you walk to what you wear. Watch this in verse 19. 20, I'm sorry. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. I love this. What Paul is saying is this, that the answer to your hope is not living like the world, not according to their beliefs, and definitely not according to their behaviors. It is about boldly holding to the beliefs and behaviors of Christ, learned Christ. And what Paul says here is interesting. He says, but that is not the way. He makes a contrast that that's the way you believed and behaved in the past, but now you are believing and behaving something different because you've learned about one person, Christ. Now, you would think he would say, learned about Christ. But that's not what he says. He says, you've learned Christ. See, I've learned Amy Smith long. I learned her. Three decades with this woman, I've learned her. I don't just know her generally. I know what she tends to think, what she desires, what bothers her. I know her. But deeper than that, I need to know Christ. And you need to know Christ. And Paul says, but that's not what you learned about Christ. And Jesus, Jesus, I love this passage in Matthew chapter 11. It says, it says this, come to me, all you who are weary and what? Heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But he talked about this yoke, and he says, take this yoke, which is an instrument of work, and what's the yoke or the instrument of work? You need to learn from me. Far too many Christians have spent very little time learning about Christ, and that is why they're struggling in their lives. So what is salvation anyway? Salvation is, is not just knowing information, it is knowing Christ deeply. It starts with the fact that I know my lost condition. I know that I have a sinful nature. I know that there's nothing in me that is going to produce any change of that sinful nature. I know that God is the only remedy. See, I don't just, I know my sin, I know that God is my remedy, but then he, he does something in my affections. He changes my heart. He gives me a broken heart, a contrite heart. This heart that, Lord, I'm so sorry that I've done this. And then he gives me a heart that is drawn to Christ. And then as I'm drawn to Christ, I, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that Christ is my remedy. And then he breaks my heart and then he draws me to Christ. And then what happens? I turn from my sin and I turn to Christ alone. See, that's, that's what happens in salvation. That's what drew you in salvation. That's what God wants to do in your lives.
Verse 21 says this, assuming that you heard about him when you were taught in him. That's the truth that's in Christ. It's interesting that he uses these phrases. Once again, he's talking about the intellectual aspect of our lives. He says, you heard, you were taught, you understand truth. The ministry of the word is so important. For you as a believer, I don't know how much time you spend in the word. I, and maybe you want to join me this year. I am reading through the whole Bible chronologically this year. Um, step by step. I did that last year. There are many believers that have never read the whole Bible cover to cover before in their lives, and they've been a believer for decades in their lives. I would encourage you that the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts outside of the Lord Jesus Christ that God has given you is this word, the ministry of the word. You, You need to be able to read the word. You need to be able to hear the word. You need to be meditating on the word. How many of you memorize scripture and take scripture in? What happens if the world system came in today and took all of your scriptures away? Would you be able to be fed by God's word because you've been planted God's word in your heart? My word, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not, what, sin against you. You need to value that book that you hold in your hands. Far too often times we don't. Paul is arguing that you need to hear God's word and be taught God's word and recognize that truth ultimately comes from Christ. One last thing I want you to consider. He, he talks about what you walk and he talks about what you wear and he focuses you back on the person and work of Christ alone. Briefly, let's look at Romans, um, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. What is he teaching them? What have they learned? What is so important for them to hear? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Some would argue that this is a brand new information that Paul is teaching these people. I'm going to argue something different. I believe that this is the way you were saved, and Paul is saying this is how you've been converted, so now you need to live this converted life. Watch here with me. Let's go back to verse 21. It says, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Mine has a comma. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. When you were saved, what happened? A pastor, a preacher, or somebody taught you and said, This is a life that you're living. You need to go differently. And what they've said is, you're going this path that is not a godly path. You need to go differently. So what did they argue? Put off the old self. And then what did they say in that that salvation talk to you? You need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You need to put Christ in the center of your mind. And then what did they say? Now you stop. You turn away. You focus on Christ. And then you move forward in a life of holiness and righteousness. That's how we're saved. Now there's an internal work of regeneration and the Holy Spirit and all those other things, but inevitably, when I speak to a person, I tell them where they've gone wrong in sin and how Christ is the remedy and how they need to turn their lives towards him. And Paul is saying, this is nothing new, guys. 
Stop living like the world and believing like the world. Stop living like the world and believing their behaviors. Turn to Christ and move forward in him. These three principles that he says. Discard the old patterns of your life. Embrace Christ in your thinking. And then move forward and adopt new patterns of life is how Paul is going to work the rest of his book. Stop. Focus. Start. So I say to you today, who's got your ear? So whoever has your ear has your mind, and whoever has your mind has your heart. Whoever has your heart has your life. Do you find yourself identifying more with what the world's labels are and the fa- or the fact that you're holy the Lord's? Do you remind yourself that you are a citizen of heaven? See, my citizenship is not here primarily of earth. It's of heaven. That the Holy Spirit dwells in me. Do you remind yourself of that? Do you remind yourself that you're a holy temple? Do you remind yourself that you are the light of this world? Do you remind yourself that you are a member of Christ's body? That you're a minister of reconciliation? That I am a new creation and that you're a new creation in Christ? Do you remind yourself that you're an overcomer? That old pattern of life is done away. You are brand new. Do you remind yourself of that? Do you remind yourself that you are accepted in the beloved? That you were adopted in him? That you were blameless before God? That you were born again? That you're dead to sin and alive to God? You have been delivered. You, you are faithful. You are forgiven. You are free. See, that's, that's who you are. You are God's workmanship. That you are different than the world. Why? Do we look exactly the same as the world? Because we've missed this. I'm justified. I'm more than a conqueror in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not alone. I'm not helpless. I'm not in need of anything because all my needs are met in Christ. I'm promised an abundant life. I'm raised up with Christ. I am reconciled. I am redeemed. That is who you are. You're not your past sin. Some of you have done some horrendous things in your life. It's forgiven if you're in Christ. You don't live your life as though that past sin or that past label. You live your life as holy the Lord's. You're free. You're victorious. You're strong. You can forgive others because you have been forgiven. You have hope. You have peace. You have purpose in your life. That's your life. the mind of Christ start to think like him and start to honor him today so stop believing like the world stop walking in their ways advancing in their ways their way of life, their actions put on a new mindset, put off the old and put on something new but it's all about Christ let him so saturate you now Paul Next, next time, Paul is going to spend time getting very practical. So he's going to give you this belief system, but then he's going to get very practical. He's going to talk about telling the truth. He's going to talk about your anger. He's talking about stealing. He's talking about dealing with bitterness and hurt and seeking forgiveness from one another. He's going to talk about how we as believers start to love one another and represent him to a very dark, broken,
let us be different. Let us honor him. Let us model him. Lord, I pray that you would do something radically different in our lives today. Father, it is, it is disturbing, discouraging, that many believers today will diagnose the problems of this world exactly like the world diagnoses it. It is discouraging as well that many Christians even believe that the prescription to solve the problems in this world are exactly as the world says. There's something wrong, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would humble us to hear your word. I pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth. Help us to see the beauty of your son. Help us to get rid of the hard life, the alienated life, the ignorant life, the futile life, the life that is unfeeling, the life that is given over, the life that is covetous and corrupt. And help us to see Christ and help us to learn Christ, not just about Christ, but help us to learn him and help us to hear him and help us to be taught. And as we heard at our conversion, Lord, help us to put off that old life. Help us to be renewed by focusing on the mind of Christ and help us to walk in a new way that's going to honor you. So, Lord, I know that there are believers here in this room. I pray that we would take this as a, a clarion call from you to live differently, to honor you, to reflect you in this world. And, and Father, help us to know that as we do that, if we go out there with your beliefs, it's going to be challenged. We may be persecuted for it. If we go out there with your behaviors, Father, people are going to mock us and look down on us. But help us to know that if they persecuted your son, they will persecute us. But tribulations come in this world. But Lord, remind us that you are at work in our lives. So help us to see him. Help us to savor him. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Help us to live in a way that's going to honor you in Jesus' name. One of the ways that we get a chance to reflect Christ is in the communion service. I love the song. It says, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, what fears are stilled when striving ceases. My comforter, my all in all here in the love of Christ, I stand. He took on flesh, this helpless babe, gift of love and righteousness, scorned by ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. Here in the death of Christ I live. When we come to the communion table, we are celebrating Christ's life, we are celebrating Christ's death, and we're celebrating Christ's resurrection. God has given us two ordinances in the church. One is communion, and another is baptism. And both of them reflect Christ. And what they do is they, they reflect in the communion service. We, we take a piece of bread and a glass of juice or wine, and we are symbolizing the broken body of Christ and the shed blood for you and for me.
Now, we here at the chapel do not believe that this becomes the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't. He was sacrificed once for sins, once, 2,000 years ago. But we are reminding ourselves of what he did for us as we take this. We, we also offer this as an opportunity to be a family meal. Now, you may not be a member of our church. You don't have to be a member of our church to take this meal. You just need to be a member of the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the leaders are going to hand out the trays today. As, as they do that, I want you to hold them in your hands. I'll come back and we're going to work through this and pray and honor him. Let us pray.
play that I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus, my precious Savior, I surrender all. What a, what a beautiful testimony it is. Paul said this, I've received from the Lord what I deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way he took a cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me take and drink he says for often as for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes let me read this last portion of the um, song that I was sing, um, reading before. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Worship him today. So Lord, we thank you for being able to take this communion meal. We thank you for being able to sing about you. We thank you for being able to hear your word. And we thank you for being able to eat with one another, Father, and remind ourselves of Christ. I pray that you would help us to be lights in this dark world. Help us to honor you. Help us to reflect you. Help us to be able to show something different to people that desperately need someone different, your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
surrender all to you, everything that we are, Father, for everything that we just talked about and the fact that you you bought us at a price. And God, help us please to continue to surrender in a way that the world sees, that the world sees that we are different and that they would question that as well and in turn glorify you. Just bless us as we go this week, Father, and continue to be with, be with us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.